Jesus. So. <laughs> she's in Brazil uh, with the team, and things are going good there. And uh, so she says hello, and um, but I've been, which is kind of a bummer. I'm, you know, the house is trashed, but what else? You know, she's, she, what should she expect? So I got to do a massive cleaning day tomorrow <laughs> before she comes home, and then. Uh, uh, but I've been spending a lot of time with Jesus, which is a good thing. That's always a positive thing. So we want to welcome everybody here. We want to welcome everybody watching by live stream. I uh, want to encourage you to share the stream. Say with me, Jesus has something good for me today. We must have expectation, ladies and gentlemen. We come hungry. We come with expectancy. The Bible talks about waiting on the Lord. Just say it with me. There's park bench waiting. And there's bus stop waiting. Your park bench waiting, you're feeding pigeons. You don't really care what happens. Your park bench waiting, you're expecting for something. And so we have to, the Lord likes expectation. He meets, he meets us at the point of our expectation. So we're doing the Gospel of John. We're going to do the, the fourth chapter of John, which is almost 50 plus verses. So I think it is 50 verses. It's definitely up there. But it's like one of the longest chapters in the whole New Testament. So we've had to take it in sections. And we're going to finish the chapter of John, Gospel of John today. Anybody here like to travel? Yes. Yeah? All right. So Jesus is like the traveling. He's like a traveling man. And so the story of the Gospel of John is he was in Cana, which is in the north. He goes to Jerusalem. He goes to Samaria. He goes to Galilee and comes back to Cana. So he's on a, he's on a spring tour here in the fourth chapter. And so uh, here we're going to pick it up here in uh, verse 45, I believe. Yeah, verse 43. It says, after two days, he went to Galilee and Jesus himself spoke and said, a prophet has no honor in his own country. And when he arrived in Galilee, this region, the Galileans welcomed him for they had seen what he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover and at the festival there. For they had also been there. And once more, he, he visited Cana of Galilee. This is the place where he turned the water into wine and where a certain royal official's son lay sick at Capernaum. And this man, this nobleman, had heard that Jesus had come to Galilee from Judea. So he knew that Jesus was in the area. And he went and pleaded with the Lord to come and heal his son, because his son was close to death. And the Lord says, unless you people see signs and miracles and wonders, you will by no means believe. And the royal official said, sir, Please calm before my child dies. And Jesus said, go, your son lives. And then the man said, the man believed Jesus. Say it with me. He believed him at his word and he departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants came out to meet him and they told him the news that his boy was alive. And when he asked the time that his son was healed, they said to him yesterday in the afternoon at this time, the fever left him. And the father realized that this was the exact time when Jesus had spoken to him that your son will live. So the man and his whole household, say it with me, he and his whole household believed. And this was the second sign that Jesus performed from coming from, from Judea to Galilee. So he goes, he's been traveling around, and the whole story, he's in Cain of Galilee, he changes water to wine. He goes down to Jerusalem, and he begins to do miracles and signs and wonders there in Jerusalem. Then he leaves Jerusalem, goes back up, goes through Samaria, meets a woman at the well. Now he's traveling through Galilee, and now he's landing in a place, now he's back in the city of, within Galilee that's called Cana. 
And it says, after two days. So he spent two days in Samaria. So with this woman at the well, he encounters this woman at the well. They have this prophetic conversation. And after the conversation, she brings the whole town out to him. And the whole town comes out and meets Jesus. We talked about this last week. And they begged him or pleaded with him to stay. And so the Lord stayed with him for two days. How many knows one of Jesus' titles is called rabbi? Did you know that? So teaching is important in the scripture. And so Jesus stayed with them. It's actually at the epicenter of Jesus's ministry. Teaching is extremely important in the church. It's actually the way that God has prescribed, what his God has prescribed his church to center on is instruction, right? Say with me, signs follow. There needs to be signs. There needs to be wonders. If there's no signs in those wonders, because the Bible tells us in Hebrews that the signs and the wonders are the affirmation of the gospel. They are the very thing that prove that what this is, what, what the, what the, what's being said is true. And so there needs to be signs and wonders, but signs follow. Teaching is at the epicenter of Jesus's ministry. And teaching needs to be defined, I think, in America today, because Jesus told Peter, excuse me, Jesus, Peter, Paul, one of them, Paul told Timothy when he was leading this church at Ephesus, he said, preach, say it with me, the word, the word. not a word, not a philosophy, not a motivational thought, preach the word, be instant in season and out. He said, keep teaching the scripture, whether people want to hear it or whether they don't be faithful to the scripture. And this is at the center of what Jesus did. If you watch what he did everywhere he went, whenever he encountered a crowd, you see it with the Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching them. He goes, he, see, he gets their attention with the miracles. He teaches them. Then he does other miracles and he just begins to create this transformation. But it's centered on teaching. And these Sumerians, he sat with them and he taught them. And they are allowed, say, I'm allowed to ask questions. So I grew up in kind of church philosophy a little bit, and it was like, you don't ask any questions. You just believe. You just accept everything as it's told to you, and you don't ask anything. <laughs> we know it all, and that's all there is to know. And we know everything. There is nothing left that needs to be known or discovered. Well, that was kind of when I was younger, and then as I got older, I realized that what God wants from me is a quest. And God wants a question in that quest. That's really what a question is. It's quest ion. So it's a journey, which is the word quest, and it's ion, which is a particle. So when you're asking a question, you're asking for a part of the journey. You're asking for a part of this quest. God made man as a question. You're made as a man, mankind is made as a question. So I'll, I'll prove it to you this way. This, it's, it goes beyond this, but I'll prove it to you this way. Every single person in this room has within their heart something called intrinsic questions. All of you internally at some level are asking that these same questions are going on inside of you. Who am I? What does it all mean? Where do I belong, right? What's my purpose? Every single person, a child is asking that. Who am I? You know, where, where do I belong? We're all, whether we're doing it vocally, that question still echoes within us internally. Man was made as a question. Man was made to ask questions. Man wasn't made to be a know-it-all. Man was made to seek 
God and to ask questions from the one who made it all. This again comes back to this whole relationship dynamic. The word manna, it's, it's related to the same word for man. The word manna, when God fed the children of Israel, with, uh, they called it manna, which means what? What? That's what manna really means. Man is created as a what. Did you know that? When God made you, he made you as a what. You are, what am I? What am I supposed to do? What, what does all of it mean? Every one of us. So, so questions in the kingdom and in the gospel are necessary. And Jesus actually, we see the most clearest understanding of the New Testament when somebody actually asks the question. When they don't ask questions, Jesus says these crazy things. He just throws them out there, looks around. Okay, nobody wants to ask a question, and he moves on. But when you see them ask a question, that's when you begin to get the revelation of what he was actually saying. And Peter was notorious for asking questions. Everybody else just asked like a know-it-all, and Peter would drive him crazy. He's like, what does this mean? I don't understand what you're saying. What does this mean? The Lord will never correct your question. What he wants from you is he wants to develop a relationship with you. And he wants to, it's not just, oh, worshipful, almighty God. And, you know, in this reverent statue, he wants questions from you. He wants questions from you, but he wants a teachable spirit and a teachable heart that he can redirect. Mm-hmm. Because he'll take your question. Anybody ever drive cars without power steering? I'm totally back in the day. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, we got a few of you, right? you got to crank that thing, man. And the easiest way to drive a car when it doesn't have power steering is to get it, what? Moving. Once it's moving, you can do it. But man, if you're sitting still, you cannot steer that car at all. This is the way that God wants with us is he wants us to be moving with him. And as we're moving with him, he wants to be able to guide our lives. So when we're asking the question, he wants to say, Kevin, you're asking the wrong question. Well, what question should I be asking? This is the question you should be asking. My whole life is on questions. The kingdom has been taught to me through questions. It's, it's all questions. I've seen the kingdom open up. I've seen things that I've never would have ever experienced had I not learned how to ask questions. And it's not just my questions, it's the questions that he wants me to ask him. And that's the difference. The first thing I want you to do, so we're all into safe spaces now. Everybody likes safe spaces. Right? We're not going to create a cry room here at Elevate, but we, I do want to create a safe space with the Lord to tell you, <laughs> come on, that was funny. That was funny, right? <laughs> so I want you to understand that it's safe to ask questions with Jesus. It's safe. People ask me questions all the time. That's actually my favorite thing. I don't freak out. Most pastors don't want to answer any questions. Don't ask me any questions. Just believe what I say. Do you know why? Because they don't know the flipping answer. They're reading it from somewhere, you know? They gotta consult with somebody to do that. And I'm not picking on pastors. I'm just simply saying that we've created this culture where there's no questions to be asked. I love questions. I love questions. She was like, well, you know, if, I, if I'm ever in an environment, I'm like, well, let's just ask some questions. Anybody got any questions? You know, it, it, it's better for you to ask questions than for me to answer questions that you're not asking. Isn't that right? Right? We end up answering questions that nobody's asking. Questions are necessary. Questions are essential. It's part of your development with the Lord. So I want you to understand that teaching is essential. Teaching, not just teaching in some teaching sense, but the teaching of the word of God, right? And then it's necessary with questions. And this is what Jesus did with these Samaritans for two days. Two days. You don't think he hovered? 
You want to sit down and you want me to teach you and you want to ask me questions? I'll stay two days with you. Two days. Two days out of a three-year ministry. That's a long time. That's a pretty high percentage. Out of a thousand days, Jesus ministered. 11, 1,200 days he ministered. He gave two full days to one group of people. Isn't that crazy? It is to me. So when you want to learn from him and you want to ask him questions and you want to commune, the Lord will spend time with you. He will. And he'll teach you. Everywhere Jesus went, he brought the kingdom. Did you know that? Jesus said, repent, that is, return to me. It's the word teshuva. For the kingdom of heaven is where? Where did he say it was? At hand. hand. That means you can grab it. It's within your reach. The king's dominion is here. I brought it with me. I'm here to declare it. I'm here to impart it. I'm here to release it. I'm here to activate it. Everywhere Jesus went, he brought the kingdom. He brought heaven's authority into every circumstance. He operated out of divine assignment. The woman at the well, that was a divine assignment. And he operated out of the things that immediately addressed him. So things that happened to him. So he's at the wedding and Jesus does a miracle there out of the need that was presented to him. The woman at the well was a divine assignment. He was sent there. He had to go through Samaria. This man that he's about to encounter here, this nobleman, this servant guy, king guy, Um, This is, again, Jesus is responding out of what's in front of him, which is actually the gospel, Christian. This is the kingdom gospel. Every single one of you, and I'm going to hopefully give you a little bit of this understanding today, you are called to minister in the world that you are in. You may not feel qualified, but guess what? You didn't qualify you. You might not feel ready, but guess what? You're ready. Dysfunctional and all. Jesus will use four mumbles in a prayer. Yeah, he'll use four words. He'll use four mumbles. He'll use mumbling and stuttering if he has to, but he needs something. He uses sticks in the Bible. What's in your hand? A stick. Stretch it out. Right? What have you got? Nothing. I got a rock and a slingshot. Okay, well, that's good enough. He uses what you present to him. Two loaves, what, loaves and fishes, 12 loaves and fishes, whatever. I'm not doing math today for some reason. But whatever, loaves and fishes, he uses what we present to him. It's, what, what is that among so many? Who am I among so many? Who am I? Moses said, I can't talk. And the Lord said, who made your mouth, dude? I'm afraid. I'm with you. It's with Joshua. I'm afraid. Are you afraid? Are you afraid? The Lord is with you. That's what he told Joshua. Be strong and of good courage. I'm with you. It may not feel like it, but I'm with you. He told Moses, I'm telling you to talk. I don't want to talk. I don't know. I feel like I sound stupid when I talk. (laughs) I mean your mouth. Open it. This is the mandate upon all of us, Christian. God wants an evangelism, an evangelistic outreaching church that impacts the world around them with the kingdom. With the kingdom. Matthew 10 says this, say it with me, as you go. As you go, as you go go to work, preach the gospel. As you work in the office space, preach the gospel. As you walk through the public store, preach the gospel. And he gets even bigger. Heal the sick, cleanse the the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out devils. For as I have given to you, so must you give. We've been entrusted with something, and in that trust, Christian, there's an accountability. What Jesus gives, he expects a return. This is true. 
And you might have a meager return, and, but you're, he, what he rebukes is when you return to him nothing. Now, you might be a new believer, and this might all be kind of disconnected to you. I had a guy one time tell me, he's like, this is the first church I've ever been at that I feel like I'm supposed to do something. I'm like, welcome to the kingdom. Yeah? It's like, no one ever told me I was supposed to do anything. I, yeah, they, I said, yeah, they told you, just sit down and shut up. That's basically what they told you. You're empowered people. You're empowered by God as you go. You may not know what you're doing, but the Lord say with me, I may not know what I'm doing, but the Holy Spirit knows exactly what I'm doing. This is about developing a sensitivity and a relationship, and God may be, you might feel like, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? Ask that person this, or ask that person that. God will begin to instruct you as you go, as you go. This is how we're supposed to live our lives. We're supposed to be a people that does as we go, as we go, right? I was ministering to someone, and uh, Charmaine knows who I'm talking about. But anyway, as I was going, as I was loading 12, we actually have 15 TVs, but some of them are spoken for. But as I'm loading all these TVs and this furniture that we have no idea what we're supposed to do with, long story, don't want to get into it, but as I was going, I'm sweating. I'm the pastor of the church, and I'm heaving TVs at this point. And it's not like I'm above it, but I was just like, it was just so much. It started off as one truck and it turned into four trucks, four trucks. That's right, that's right. If you need an office chair and you wanna come get it, I got you. I have, you ready? 40 office chairs. Good news for the church, there's gonna be some serious upgrades going on back here. I told Shelly I'm gonna give you a great, uh, beautiful office chair and I said, you're welcome. You're welcome, Shelly, you're welcome. I mean, I'm talking beds, I'm talking, I don't even know, man, all kinds of stuff, it's crazy. But nonetheless, as I'm doing this and I'm working with someone, I'm not in the mood to share anything. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I, I don't want to tell anybody about Jesus at all. I'm just asking myself, how did I get myself into this mess? <laughs> but one of the guys who was working with us, I started talking to him. And uh, just at the end, uh, we were paying him to help us. And I just, I told him, I said, man, dude, you need Jesus. I said, you need Jesus and you need the Holy Spirit. And I said, and you'll become a person you won't even recognize. And he said, it sounds too good to be true. I said, it's so good, it is true. And I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna give you $25 more. He hasn't, he hasn't spent it yet, but I'm gonna give you 25 bucks on top of what I told you I was gonna pay you so that you don't have an excuse. So that's gas money for you to get your butt and come to church. It was just as I go. Simple message, didn't give him anything. Hey man, why don't you come to church with me? That, 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 what does that cost you? That costs you nothing. It costs you nothing. It doesn't cost you anything. There's other things you can do off that, but we're called to minister as we go. As we go. This is what the Lord expects from us. And so in this, in this, in this conversation that Jesus is having with, um, with this nobleman, and I'm gonna talk about him for a minute, but as Jesus is having this conversation with this guy, there are some amazing things that are being revealed here. One of the things is that Jesus brought the kingdom, that we are to bring the kingdom. We're entrusted with this kingdom. We're to bring it. And he says this word. He says, a prophet is without honor. A prophet is without honor. If a prophet is without honor in his own country. So he reveals to us, he's revealing to us not just kingdom dynamics, but he's actually talking about two keys to the kingdom culture right here. Anytime Jesus uses the word kingdom, or anytime the Lord is speaking of the word kingdom, or anytime Jesus is speaking about anything in general, we should pay attention to it. Two of the keys of the kingdom. So we talk about kingdom culture here a lot. People always ask, well, what exactly are you talking about the kingdom culture? Say with me. A cult, so, so say this, 
A culture, within every culture, there are movements. This is where the word ethos means. Ethos means movement within the culture. So every culture has ethos. You can go to different cultures around the world and there are different, there are different movements within that culture. Right? There are different traditions, there are different ways of doing things, that things that are acceptable there are not acceptable over here. Every culture, and we're here in Miami, and so there's a cross-pollination of multiple different cultures. A lot of different cultures. You all celebrate, everybody, you guys celebrate, I'm not, I definitely know Cubans celebrate Christmas in a, in, in a very unique way. What is it? Noicho, noicho, need I say more, right? I don't even need to get it out of my mouth. Right? So that's a cultural thing. That is not, it's not like it's a wrong thing. It's just something that, that's a cultural tradition that's done in, in, within different groups. And so there's movements within a culture. We're Christians. We're in the world. We're not of it. We're part of his culture. So what does his culture look like? Well, culture, the, the, these two things he just mentioned, the prophetic and honor, are part of the kingdom culture. They're part of it. And so the first thing Jesus talks about, is he's in the region of Nazareth, he's in the region of Nazareth, and he's saying a prophet is without honor. What he's referring to is a story that John doesn't tell, but the story is told in the book of Matthew and Luke. If you know the story, um, in the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, Jesus goes into the synagogue and he begins to read from the scroll of Isaiah. The Spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, set at liberty those oppressed, to preach um, freedom to the captives, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus, and he says, this day this is fulfilled among you. And they began to want to kill him, right? They wanted to kill him because of what he said. And Jesus was speaking to a familiar group of people. They're like, is this not Joseph? Is this not the carpenter's son? Who do you think you are? And they tried to kill him, and Jesus moved right through the crowd. So Jesus, somewhere in this storyline, John doesn't highlight it. Jesus was in the region of Galilee where Nazareth was, and he's moving towards Cana. It's somewhere in this storyline that he's not mis mentioning. They, they passed through Nazareth. So it's in this kind of timeline, and this is what Jesus is referencing when he says a prophet is without honor, but it is part of the kingdom culture. Jesus fulfilled, sanctified, and has given unto us three aspects of ministry. Every single one of you are called unto not just the ministry itself, the ministry of reconciliation, that is Christ through you reconciling the world to himself, so wherever you go, doesn't matter, marketplace minister or platform minister, doesn't matter. You know, I was just talking to a guy yesterday and I told him marketplace ministers are, can be far more effective than platform ministers because you will reach people that I, somebody on the platform will never reach. The problem is, is not enough people do marketplace ministry. Yeah, for whatever reasons, but not enough people do this. And so there are three aspects of the kingdom that God has called all of you to. We're all called to be reconcilers unto Jesus, but we're called to operate in these three aspects. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. And this is how we operate. We operate in and through the prophetic. We operate in and through a priestly ministry, and we operate in and through a kingdom. So you got some verses? Hold on, I got you, right? And so what we're called to do is we're called to discover these things, we're called to develop ourselves in these things, and we're called to use these things, deploy them. Discover, develop, deploy, right? So we're prophetic, we're a prophetic people, period. We're a priestly people, period. We're a kingly, queenly, royal people, period. Say, well, where do you get that from? Acts chapter two, verse 17, it shall come to pass in the last days, I will pour my spirit out on all, on all flesh. Say to me, your sons and daughters, shall prophesy 
Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. On my men servants, come on, and on my women servants, I will pour my spirit out. And as if we didn't get it the first time, he says it again, they shall prophesy. We are a prophetic culture. We're born into a prophetic culture. We're a culture of visionaries and dreamers. We have access to a dimension of vision. We have access to a dimension of dreams that the unbeliever does not have. We have access to the prophetic counsel, the prophetic word, and the prophetic ministry of this Holy Spirit that the world does not have. Does not. If, say, if Jesus died for it, I should pay attention. Say, he died for me. He died for, he not just died to save you, Christian. He died to lead you into a kingdom, to develop you. It's the gospel of the kingdom. This is important to understand. We talk about the gospel. We say the gospel of salvation. I think it's mentioned once, if at all, the word gospel of salvation. And it's highlighted as it's not even directly alluded to. The number one calling of the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world and then the, earth, then the end shall come. It's not the gospel of salvation. It's the gospel of the kingdom. You say, what's the gospel of the kingdom? Isn't that the question? That's the question he doesn't answer. But he opens the door and says, if you want it, come and get it. If you want to understand it, come and get it. One of the aspects of the kingdom is it's a culture. It's a mindset. Culture is mindset. This world has a mindset, right? The church has a mindset. You got the world's culture, you got the church's culture, and you got the kingdom culture. I'm a kingdom culture guy myself, personally, and this is how we run this church. We're kingdom culture people. We don't operate like a church culture, you know, where everybody's loyal to their traditions, you know, and Sister Susie painted that room in 1955, bless God. We got to ask her grandchildren if it's okay to paint the children's room. Just wouldn't be fair because Sister Susie paid to paint the children's room in 1955. This is what we do. Well, we've had stale Kool-Aid and stale cookies as our, uh, as, our, as our welcome table for the last 20 years, and we're just not changing it. The church has a mindset. It has a culture right we, we we're externally looking at each other we're, we're always judging we're not looking to the lord it's another story but there's a church culture there's a world culture and there's a kingdom culture the kingdom culture is prophetic second thing the kingdom culture is is it is priestly first peter 2 you are a chosen generation that means you're actually chosen in say with me i am chosen in my generation i'm a chosen generation no you're chosen in your generation for such a time as this you've come to the kingdom you are in your generation and you are chosen by the lord and you are set apart by the lord and you are endowed by the lord to do his purposes in this world you are chosen in this generation yeah and you know i'm i you know i, I like to say it all the time but the lord doesn't doesn't accept ignorance as an excuse he does not he does not he does not accept well i didn't know you will not account for your sin, Christian, but you will account for unto reward. The Lord is looking to reward you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that right? Yes. Right? Well, you didn't, most people, I didn't do anything. Well, how did I serve you? I just gave my life to Jesus. That's all I did. Well done, good and faithful servant. God's looking to reward us. We are accountable for what he has given to us, and we're accountable to not live narcissistic lives. The church teaches people to live only in the now, 
and the church teaches people to be self-focused. That is not the gospel at all. That is the American gospel, but that is not the kingdom gospel at all. We, you and I, are called to always, always, always live with eternity in mind. Always. Heaven is in your sight. I live every day of my life knowing I will stand before this king. I know it. I know it. I will stand before this king. And he will ask me, what did you do with what I gave you, Kevin? Because he's not going to condemn me, but he's going to reward me. I refuse. I absolutely refuse to come before this king empty-handed. And you know what the sad part is? 90 plus percent of Christians will stand before this king and they will have no tribute. They will have offered him nothing. Zero. 18% of the church tithes. Jesus said, I'll reward you for the tithe. They can't even tithe. Bring a child to me. You don't even want to bring your coworker. Bring a kid. Get your kid to bring another kid. Bring a child in my name. I'll give you a reward. We can't even do that. This is the sad reality of, our, of, of where we are. If our gospel is not producing transformative change, then what we're preaching is wrong. If our gospel is producing nothing but narcissism, nothing but Instagram friends, and everybody's flexing on Instagram, you know, ooh, 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 ooh but, you're, but you're, there's just a hollowness. There's no substance to your faith whatsoever, and there's no fruit. This is what we have to come to terms with. How do you do that? The first thing you come to do is you just slap yourself around and you say, I will not live for myself. I live for his kingdom. I'm at your service, Lord. What do you desire of me? What do you want from me? Watch what happens when you start asking Jesus what he wants and watch as you develop in that relationship how he starts asking you what you want. We all want, you know, we all think Jesus is wanting to know what we want. Watch what happens. When you start giving him what he wants, nobody does business with God and breaks even. Seek first the what? This is right, this is the verse is right there. The kingdom doesn't seek, seek first the gospel. No, no, no. Seek first the, say it again. Seek first the, right. And what is right to God. And then everything will what? That's right. That's right. We are chosen in our generation. We are a royal priesthood. You are royalty, chosen in a generation as a priest. What does that mean? It means we minister unto Jesus. Jesus ministers unto us, and then we minister unto the world. This is what priestly ministry is. Before the priest ministered to the people, he, must first, he or she must first minister to the Lord. Ministry to the people is irrelevant unless you first minister to the Lord. Because when you minister to the Lord, the Lord ministers to you. You, see, you hear me say it all the time. What do you want, Lord? What do you want to say? How do you want to do this? What is it that you want from me? What do you want to say to these people? You know, I got some ideas, but you got better ideas, right? I got some counsel, but you're a lot smarter than me. This is your house. This is your people. This is your ways. What is it that you want? And then he tells me. And then I, I do my best to take what he tells me and deliver it. That's priestly ministry. And all y'all are called to that. All of you. And you begin to minister unto the Lord. Worship is ministry unto the Lord. That's why when you're sitting here, you think we're just singing songs, right? You sit back and you rock, you know, you check your phone, 
you know, see if anybody's texting me when there's worship in the room. Do you understand that worship isn't about you? It ministers unto him and in ministry unto him. I don't like to lift my hands. It's not my thing. I don't come from that tradition. Slap, slap, church culture. Lift your hands. Let's just do it right now. Just do it. Shoot them up. Yada. Do it like. Just do it. Yada. Yada. Right? That's the praise. Yada. Shoot the hands. Shoot them up. Come on. Put them up. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You say, I feel embarrassed. Do you know what the root word of humble is? Same root word? Humiliation. Don't tell me you're not humble. Don't tell me you're humble if you don't feel humiliation. Because those two words are exactly the same. Which means awkwardness is part of the deal. Awkwardness. We're, now, we're, we don't do that in America. You know, we like everything like this. You know, everything's kind of like, like that. But it's not my thing. It's Jesus' thing. You're a priest. You're called to minister unto him. I remember telling the Lord before. He's like, it's not, I'm like, it's not my thing. It's not my thing, Lord. That's not my thing. And he's like, it's my thing. Just that little word caused me to pause and take stock of everything I was thinking about. I'm like, wait a second. This isn't my thing, but it's Jesus' thing. And so I was like, do I want my thing? <laughs> or do I want Jesus' thing? I want Jesus' thing. So if shouting is his shout, you know, we did, we did it here with Andrew. We did the halals. Not my thing. You look like a fool. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They were drunk. They thought they were drunken idiots in the book of Acts. David was mocked by his own wife, dancing in his undergarments. And he said, you know what he said? Anybody know? It was what? Before the Lord. I didn't do it for you. I didn't do it for me. I did it for him. And if my undignified worship brings him honor, you haven't seen anything yet. I will become even more undignified than this. Not your thing? David is held up as a man who chased my heart, a man like no other, esteemed that Jesus chose him to bear his bloodline in the earth. Why? Because he gets it. He got it. No one else was getting it, but David got it. Another story there. You need to wake yourself up. You need to rouse yourself. If you're not a worshiper, you need to become one. If you're not a singer, you need to become one. If you don't like lifting your hands, you need to read your Bible. You need to read your Bible. Shout to the Lord. Ho! Shout to the Lord. Right? Lift up your hands. Where? In the sanctuary. Make known his praise in the congregation of saints. Lord, you are glorious. Lord, you are wonderful. There is no one like you, Lord. Well, that just doesn't seem dignified. Exactly. See previous conversation. We need to wake up. 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 We are priests of the king. Priests of the king. You are a priest. Act like one. Give him glory. Minister to him. Give him what he's asking for. Is he asking for your time? Give it to him. Give it to him. 
Been doing prayer walks every day for the last two months. I used to do this all the time. And I share with you guys, because I like to share my personal breakthroughs with y'all, right? So I can help you. I'm not trying to boast or anything like that. That's the last thing I want to do. I love, I, actually, I'm a very private person. I prefer to keep it to myself, you know? It's my thing. I don't like, you know, putting myself out there like that. It's not my thing, but it's Jesus' thing, right? So I'm the burnt offering. I'm the drink offering. I'm the guy that I'm going to dump you out right in front of the people. Not my thing, but it's his thing. I don't, I don't want to be dumped out in front of the people, Jesus. Ah. Whoosh. <laughs> are you my servant or are you your servant? Do you belong to me, Kevin, or do you belong to you? Whose culture owns you? Whose culture owns you? He'll leave you the same. If you answer that question and you say, I don't want to do it, Lord, he'll leave you the same. He will leave you right where you are. You can stay the same. You're loved, you're set apart by him, you're chosen, you'll inherit eternal life, but you'll go no further. Write it down. Write that down. You think I'm lying? Lift up your eyes and look at the modern church. What we produce is empty and shallow and is fruitless. Or the opposite of that, what we present is stoic and philosophical and produces nothing. Yeah, anybody here manufacture anything? Anybody here make things? Make clothes, anything? right? We have some women here that are clothing designers and they make clothes. So if they create a pattern and they hand it to the seamstress and the seamstress and the two seamstress, the cutter and the sewer, they don't make a, they don't make a, 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 a dress anything like the pattern that they were given. Is there a problem in the pattern? Is there a problem in the design? No, the problem's not in design. The problem's not in the pattern. The problem's in the manufacturing process. You understand? We have to produce a different type of believer, a different type of Christian. We have to produce a type of Christian that Jesus is calling for. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. You know, I'm just, I'm just sharing it with you. You can do with it whatever you want. Revelation 1, he has made us kings and priests to our God. There it is again. Not only are we kings, but we're priests. We're supposed to minister through all three of these areas. We're supposed to be a people who's prophetic, the essence of prophetic is really simple. Doesn't mean you're standing up there and you're giving a prophetic word. The basis of all prophetic, say it with me, is that I might see, I might hear, I might feel, and understand as he does. Prophetic begins personally. Before it ever goes to another person, it begins with you. It begins learning to hear his voice. That's the essence of the prophetic. That's, that's, that's the essence of it. And so when you talk about prophetic culture, Jesus wants you to hear his voice. His voice is alive. He didn't write a book and go mute. That's what we think. We think, well, Jesus, there's nothing more that the Lord has to say. We have 66 books. Bless God, Jesus is no longer speaking. Who told you that? My sheep hear my voice. Let those who have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. That is an ongoing statement. He's speaking now. He's speaking now. He's speaking now. I live for his voice. I live for it. I literally, 1,000% live to hear him speak. I live for it. It is everything to me. It's not something, it is everything to me. Everything. It's the only thing, personally, that I give anything to have. It's the only thing that I'll protect at all costs is his voice to me because that is everything. It's like Peter said, where am I gonna go? You have the words of eternal life. You know what it means? Yeah, come on. You know what he said? When you speak, Jesus, I come alive. 
When you speak, Lord, my soul burns. I burn, Lord, when you speak. Where, where are you going to go? Is Dr. Phil making you burn? Oprah Winfrey? Does she make you come alive? But Jesus speaks, and you come alive. And when you hear the rhema word of God and you hear the living word of God, it moves you out of yourself. It shifts everything about you. Yeah? It's true. Another story. I want to go off on that, but I won't. So I'm going to wind myself back down to this. <laughs> That's the principles. Prophet, priest, and king. It's necessary. You can't have kingdom and dominion without understanding the prophetic. You can't have kingdom and dominion. How many wants rulership in the marketplace? Let's just, let's, let's speak some common language here. Anybody here want rulership in the marketplace? Amen. I'm going to ask it again. Do you want rulership wherever you go? Do you want dominion? Do you want, do you, do you want, whatever it is, I don't know what you're doing. Let's just call it the marketplace. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're working in a job, do you want dominion in that aspect? That's kingdom, Right? Do you know how you get to kingdom in the marketplace? I'm not even talking about miracles. I'm just simply talking about something practical. The way you get from kingdom is by learning to hear his voice. Learning to hear his instruction tells you you minister it back to him and allow him to minister it back to you. And as this ministry exchange, hearing his voice, exchanging communion in priestly ministry, having that instruction happen, and then stepping into the thing that he told you to do. And then when you have a problem, and you will, you're going to have difficulty, you're going to have blocks, and you're going to have stops. You told me to do this. How come I can't move? You go back, you hear his word, you minister that back and forth between the two of you in a priestly communion, and then you go back and rectify it. I just shared it with you. Yeah, I was just telling you what, what the Lord was telling me. I'm like, what's missing? What, what, what am I not asking? And what's missing? That's the priestly communion. Right? I'm talking to him about this. And he says, you're not specific. You need to be specific. And so I continue the priestly ministry, and I'm like, Holy Spirit, where am I not specific? I don't know what I want. I think I know what I want, but I'm not really sure if I do know what I want. I know you know what I want, so what is it that I want? What is it that I'm asking for? And he starts telling me. You understand that? Two of you? No? Okay. <laughs> I'm giving you living faith. Again, it's, it's, this is real stuff. The second principle of the kingdom that Jesus mentions here is honor. A prophet is without honor. The prophetic must be part of your circle. If it's not, poor you. Poor you. You will not advance. You will not. You just won't. You'll be loved. I didn't say you're loved. It's, it's all about advancing, right? We advance the kingdom. Right? We elevate the lives of the people by elevating them unto Christ and elevating Jesus. That's what this whole church is designed. We're not sitting here twiddling our thumbs waiting until Jesus comes. Look, look, you know, I'm, I'm ready for the shofar anytime he wants to blow it. But we're not just sitting around here waiting for the shofar, building a little enclave, you know, trying to insulate ourselves from the world. No, we believe we're supposed to take kingdoms. We believe we're supposed to advance. That's what we believe. And this kingdom culture is about prophetic. It's also about honor. Say it with me. Where there is no honor, there will be no access. Very basic here. If they didn't honor the prophetic, and you know what happened? They didn't access it. Do you know why Nazareth didn't have miracles? Because they refused to honor the prophetic. The prophet was without honor. Therefore, there was no kingly ministry, and there was no priestly ministry among them because they refused to honor him, and they refused to honor specifically the prophet. 
When, when we don't honor the prophetic, church, you'll never see kingdom ministry. I'm telling you now. How do you know this? Because the Lord directly told me. He showed me prophet, priest, and king, which is obvious, but you are all prophets, priests, and kings. I just showed that to you. It's not just a statement. It's a progression from the prophetic to the priestly to the kingdom, from the prophetic to the priestly to the kingdom. I've seen healing off this, like crazy healings off this before. I get a word. The Lord says this. What do you want me to do with that? Do this. I do that. Boom. Simple one. I've shared it before. Some of you know the story, but it's just an easy one. It's very clear. I don't have to explain it too much. Boy with a locked up back, 15 years old. It's got a locked up back, can't bend over. Was a baseball player, was an athlete. All of a sudden, he's 15, his back, he can't move his back. Over there, they bring him to me. I'm like, okay. I pray for him. Yeah, ready, ready, ready. I love this. Man of faith and power. Ha, in the name of Jesus. You know what happened? Nothing. Nothing. So I pray again, nothing. So I'm like, okay, Lord, what's going on here? What's going on here? He's like, he's got an issue with his father. I'm like, okay. I go, how's your relationship with your father? And his, his, his mom goes, he has a great relationship with his father. His grandma leans right into my face and goes, he has a terrible relationship with his father. <laughs> and so I lead him through this prayer of forgiving his father just this renouncing, breaking covenants with the anger and all of the stuff. I lead him through this prayer. And before I could even say amen, the boy's touching his toes. His back completely released. So what is that? Prophetic, priestly. What do you want me to do with that? He tells me he's got an issue with his father. Okay, I didn't go, you got an issue with your father. Ah, the Lord says you have an issue with your father. No, didn't do that. Because again, it's honor. I choose to talk to him in a way that honors him not disrespects him, not demeans him, not belittles him. I just asked him. I said, how's your relationship with your father? And he, he got tears in his eyes. He couldn't even say anything. He's just kind of like nodding his head like this. His mom's like, oh, he has a wonderful relationship. So the prophetic word, what do you want me to do with it? The Lord shows me what to do with it. He's like, I, I was ready to pray for him. I didn't even have to pray for him. Prophet, priest, boom, kingdom, his back released. Dominion. The king's rulership came over that which held him under authority. The dominion of God manifests. How many knows the dominion of God is freedom? Two of you? How many knows the dominion or the rule of God is freedom? To who the Son sets free is what? It is for freedom's sake he makes you? That's right. Jesus comes to Cana. It's a place where he brought water to wine. They had seen him do the miracles at Jerusalem. This royal official comes to Jesus. He's called a basilikos, which means he was a civil official, right? It's the same thing that God calls you, basilikos. You are administrators of his government. Same word. This guy was an administrator of his government. When God calls you kings, he uses the Greek word basilikos. You are an administrator of his government. Think on that one. And he was an administrator of, the, of, the, of government under Herod. He wasn't Roman. He was probably under King Herod. And that's another story. He tells Jesus, come to my house and heal my son. <laughs> which I won't, you know, he comes giving Jesus instruction, which is not exactly the way I would approach it, but he comes telling him, come to my house and heal my son. And the Lord says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not agree, you will not believe. Who was he talking to? He wasn't talking to the man. He was talking to the crowd. Because the whole thing is he just turned water to wine in this town, right? So I'm sure the rumor mill was all around. The, you know, the wine guy, man. Yo, the wine guy's here. The wine guy's here, man. And so everybody's running to see the wine guy, right? 
And then everybody's leaving, and they're the ones that saw him do the miracles in Jerusalem. So they're coming, and they're like, why did I, yeah, I saw him do this healing. The guy that did the healing in Jerusalem, the miracles, that's the wine guy? So the wine guy and the Jerusalem guy are the same guy? Yeah, the wine guy and the Jerusalem guy are the same guy. So the crowd's all gathered around him, and they see the, 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 the official asking for a miracle, and so they're all around. They got their popcorn out, you know? What's he going to do? Got their selfies. Wine guy, wine guy. They were in for the show. They had missed the point entirely. And so Jesus is rebuking them. He said, your faith is as shallow as, your, as the show. You want to be entertained? Is that why you're here? You all come flocking out of the woodwork because we have a Ferrari on the stage? <gasps> Bad pastor, don't talk like that. It's true. Is there more substance? And this isn't a people, this was the first time they're hearing it. I don't have a problem doing an attractional ministry to reach the lost. But if, the, if, if we're doing attractional ministry merely to reach the Christian, the Christian is completely missing the point. The attractional ministry is Jesus himself, right? He's the fairest of 10,000. He's more beautiful than the light show or the LED screen or the smoke machine or the skinny jeans, right? He's more beautiful than that. And so Jesus is addressing the shallowness of their faith because all they're looking for is a show. He's like, is this, is this all you want? Is this what you're looking for? And so the wine guy is here. And so Jesus is human. How many knows Jesus is human? He is God but man. And what you see is you see his humanity. And you see him say direct things. People act like Jesus was just floating around on a cloud all the time. And he never expressed any frustration. And he was never direct. Jesus would never be direct. Jesus is a marshmallow pastor. He has soft hair and he wears a dress with sandals. He would never hurt anyone. He's a lion. Who you been listening to? That's not the Jesus of the Bible, you know? That's not the Jesus I'm talking about. He's human. And so how many of those people can be challenging? Anybody? Anybody here? Okay, anybody here? People are challenging. I'm challenging, but people are challenging. And so these people are challenging. And he's like, you have got to be kidding me, man. That's all you guys are here to do is eat popcorn and take selfies with me? Is that really the substance of your faith? And so he tells them this. He says, you only want signs and wonders. He said some other things. He rebukes a whole, he was rebuking them as a generation. Faithless generation, how long must I bear with you? How long do I have to deal with you guys? Then, then what do I have to do to bring you to where you will actually believe? Will you actually take action on the things that I'm telling you? How long? He, I'm not saying that. Jesus said that. He told the Pharisees when they asked him for a sign. He said, wicked and perverse generation wants a sign from me, twicked, twisted and corrupted to the core, and you want me to put on a show. Is that what you're looking for? Not close enough. How about when he's sitting with the disciples in the boat? And they're at, they, he makes a statement and they start they're like, well, what's he talking about? I don't know what he's talking about. Jesus looks at him and goes, have I been with you so long and you're still so dull? It's like, you cannot be kidding. You guys gotta be kidding me, right? What, what does that tell you? It tells you that there's an expectation upon us. Jesus doesn't expect us to be infants and in sucking our thumb. He expects us to grow in grace and knowledge and he expects us to develop under, into a spiritual understanding. It's expected. It's expected. He does not want to leave you the same. Church might want to leave you the same. 
Because that, that, doesn't, that doesn't disrupt everything. You know, keeps everything consistent. Jesus is not trying to leave anybody the same. He's trying to change you. He's trying to transform you. Are you still so dull? You've been a Christian how long and you don't understand this? Let's put it in real time. <gasps> it's not fair, Pastor. It's not fair. They were with Jesus personally, day and night for three years. And he'd say stuff and it'd go right over their head. In one ear and out the, out the other. People sit in services, they hear messages, they have powerful messages, powerful changing, challenging messages, and do nothing with it. You have to do something with it. Maybe you don't do everything, but pick one thing. Pick, pick half a thing, right? If you did half a thing that I'm telling you to do, if you practice priestly ministry, that's all you did. Practice the worship and the honor of the Lord and practice Jesus giving himself this thing. And you did that consistently for six months, you'd be further advanced than most Christians have in six years. I'm just telling you. I'm not even telling you to do two, 10 things. I'm not even telling you to do one thing. I'm telling you to do 50% of one thing. Because most people do zero with zero. They do nothing. It's this transformative power. This belongs to you. Access, it's not easy. It's not comfortable. It's not natural. Say, it's not natural. It's supernatural. Right. So the natural doesn't like the supernatural, in case you don't know that. The natural, the Bible says the mind of the flesh wars against the spirit. Wars. The natural-minded man, the natural-thinking Christian is not, is at war with the things of the Spirit. That's why you crucify that guy. You get rid of him. You kill the traitor. You crucify him. Right? You got to do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. This is real-time stuff. There was an expectation upon them that they would grow. This nobleman says to Jesus, come with me. What was he asking him? He was asking him to come 20 miles. The guy lived 20 miles away. And it wasn't like you're jumping in your SUV and heading down a homestead. It wasn't like that. It was 20 miles of rough terrain, unpaved roads, riding on a donkey or in a cart. Jesus is like, I'm not going 20 miles. Go, your son is healed. That's right. He said, come, Jesus said, go. He came looking for a marvel, and Jesus gave him a command. Say it with me. Jesus gave him a command. Come on. Jesus gave him a command with a promise. Here's a question. Could it be that your miracle lies on the other side of a command that you are not obeying? Could it be? There's something in there. What is it? I don't know. Why don't you ask? What am I missing, Lord? What questions do I need to ask? It's not a condemnation. You're asking something from the Lord and there's no movement. Is it God's will to not give it to you? Who told you that? How many people did he say no to? Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. There's no shadow of turning in him. It is his desire to give you good things. Delight yourself in the Lord. to give you the desire. It's not, it's not God's desire. If he's told you, you can have something, you can have it. Well, then why can't I get it? That's another conversation. That's, another, that's, a, that's a big topic. But you cannot say that God didn't tell you you could have it. A lot of times there's adjustments that have to be made on your part. Yeah. You have to partner with this kingdom. This kingdom, so Jesus does everything through the kingdom. Everything. He works in a dominion way. 
And the way that the kingdom works, the kingdom works through certain things. If you don't give those certain things, these things aren't accessed. This can be easily proven. I mean, if anybody, look, I do the church. I study the church all day. This is what I do. This is what I do. Um, my, eyes are on, my eyes are on Jesus and my eyes are on the only thing that Jesus is building and that's his church. When you partner with the church, you are, you are partnering with the only thing Jesus is building. He's not building your individual ministry. He's not building your business. And if he is building your business, it's so that it can integrate with the church. And if he is building your individual ministry, it's so that it can integrate with the church. Nothing is exclusive of the church. Every single thing is in and through the church. If there was something else that Jesus was doing, I would be doing it. This is why I do what I do. I do what I do not because I feel like, well, this is just an inspiring thing. I'm like, what is the master doing? What is Jesus doing? I wanna do that. And when you partner and integrate with the church, you are partnering and integrating with what he is doing. That's just the truth. To him be glory through the church. The glory does not come but through the church, Christian not through your individual lives. That's why when you cut yourself off from church, you're alienated from all kinds of things and you know it. Come on, you stop going to church and you go downhill pretty quick. I don't know about you. <laughs> I give myself about three weeks. <laughs> Sherry's like, I think you need to worship the Lord, Kevin. And I think, you know, it's, anyway, another story. Are you guys still here? You still with me? All right, just let me sure. All right. So what if your miracle was on the other side of a command? Every promise God gives requires something of you. Every one. People say we don't have to do anything to, 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 to be saved. You need, yes, you do. You have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. That promise exists for the whole world to be saved, but if they don't believe in their heart and confess with their mouth, they're not saved. So it's a promise with a condition. Every promise has a condition. Every single one of them. Right? They're all called to, to we're all having it. So he gives this guy a command and he says, go, your son is healed. Your son lives. Say, what would have happened if he wouldn't have gone? We wouldn't know. We don't know that. But Jesus gave the command with a promise. Jesus says this in Luke 6, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? <laughs> I believe in this generation that the Lord's desire is to raise up disciples. I believe he doesn't dismiss the fans, but I believe he has no interest in a fan club. I don't believe that at all. And what we've produced and what we continue to produce is we produce a lot of fans and not disciples. And so our goal, your goal, as well as mine, if we are followers of Jesus, is to give him what he wants. What does the Lord want? Does Jesus want a fan club or does he want transformed disciples who transform cities? Does he want transformed disciples who transform nations? Does he want transformed disciples who transform families? What does he want? He wants what I'm saying. He wants transformed disciples that transform homes, transformed disciples that transform neighborhoods, that transform, that transform cities, that transform cultures. This is what he wants. We have to do what he asks us for. This is the question. It says, the man, the man took Jesus at his word. Say it, he took him at his word. And he did what he was told. <laughs> Why did he do that? I guarantee you, this is how I was trying to play this out. Like, how did this guy know? Well, he lived in Capernaum, 20 miles from Cana. The story of the water to wine was probably a crazy story. And they were all like, what? Water turned to wine? I'm, if that happened to you, would you be telling somebody about that? Oh, 
I mean, forget it. You'd be telling everybody. And you're like, man, I was there. I saw it. And so we probably heard the story of the water turning to wine. And the question probably arose, how did this happen? And most likely, if you know the story, Jesus, Mary told the servants, whatever, say it with me, whatever he says, do it. Like, how did this miracle happen? And the servants are like, well, he told us to do this. We did it, and it happened. His, you know, his mother said, whatever he says to do, do it, and, and that's what we did, and it happened. And so whatever Jesus told this man to do, he didn't even hesitate. He did it because he was probably familiar with the story. When miracles happen, don't you want to know how that happened? I do. I want to reverse engineer that, like what was going on there, what happened there. It's not random, and that's another story. And then he found out what time he was here. This guy got it. He was from the region. He had heard about this. How did this happen? The word that he believed, when, it says he, when, when he says his son was healed, it says that the word that's used is saving faith. There's different words that are used for faith in the scripture, and the word that's used here was for saving faith. Like he became committed and believed that Jesus was who he said he was. He believed. And so this action came through a miracle or an encounter. There's a lot of different ways where people come to Christ. We had a woman here uh, Easter a few years ago, pre-COVID, and um, told the story before, but you know what? Jesus tells the woman of the alabaster box, and that gospel is preached because Jesus gets his glory. The woman, they offered the alabaster box and it's preached all over the world all the time. He said, what this woman has done for me will be, will be told in every generation. This woman comes to me and she's there, a lot of problems, don't know, even know what's going on. I told you the guys the story before, but it bears repeating. I go over and I sit down with her and it's Easter and um, her godmother was here and she's like, oh, please, pastor, go and talk to her. Go and talk to her. She's had a really rough life. Just go and talk to her. And I'm like, all right, you know, throw me under the bus. Here we go. I don't know what I'm getting. Stick my head in the bus off, you know, and I sit down and I talk to her. And I'm like, and she's like, if you're here to talk to me about God, I don't want to hear it. So she said to me, first words out of her mouth. I was like, okay. And again, I'm like, well, can he talk to you? And she looks at me and goes, okay. And I started, what did I do? I gave her a prophetic word. I started sharing things. I started talking to her about her heart. I started revealing things within her heart. And she started crying. And as soon as I started talking to her and how the Lord saw her, you know, and whatever it was, I don't even remember because it, it was prophetic. And I was sharing it with her. She began to open her whole heart up to me, which is 1 Corinthians, that they will reveal their heart. People's hearts open when they know that the Father loves them, when they know that they're seen, when they know that they matter to somebody, when they know that God's not looking to judge them. He's looking to reach them. And so I started giving her a prophetic word. Ah, I feel that. Mm. Ah. And so I started giving her a prophetic word. She opens up her heart to me. She tells me she was in a horrible car crash. She said she spent eight months in the hospital. She said she couldn't eat. She had to feed food, eat through a tube. And she said, but I was determined to get up and go. And she said, I taught myself to eat again. And um, she tells me this whole story. And as I looked at her, I could see that her hand was like that. And then she had a shirt and she was showing me that she had had her, they had cut her open and everything. And so I'm sitting there and I'm listening to her story. And what do I do? I asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? And I could feel that it was gonna pray for him because there's a sense I get, you know, anyway, it's not a big deal, but I started feeling like I'm supposed to pray. I, I knew it, I just, I knew where the Holy Spirit was going with this. It's like, you're gonna pray for him. I'm like, okay, okay. And so I start doing that. And so what do I do? I sense he's gonna pray for us. So I start asking the Lord, what is that? Priestly ministry. I start talking to him. I'm like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And he said, ask her of all the things that are wrong with her, what is the thing that bothers her most? 
And me, Captain Obvious, I'm like, we're going to go for the hand. You know, that's exactly where I was thinking. I'm thinking, oh, we're gonna, I'm going to be praying for her hand, you know. And um, she said, I can't run. <laughs> I can't run. And I'm like, what? You can't run? And she said, yeah, the brain damage in my brain. She said that my, the two lobes of my brain don't communicate correctly. And she said, when I run, I fall over. And I said, that bothers you? And she said, yes. I'm like, stand up. And prayed for her laid hands on her I felt my hands vibrating when I was I could feel power and I just felt these vibrations going into my in, into her and I felt the Lord tell me you know I want you to feel your brain is vibrating and that's what I told her and she she's like I said do you feel that she said I do she said it's tingling I said just let that happen I prayed over her I took her hand we ran we ran back we ran we got about to this pole I let her hand go and she ran and ran back on her own she didn't fall over at all. <laughs> and I looked at her, and she was crying. And I said, do you want to receive Jesus? And she said, I do. And she gave her life to Jesus right here. And yeah, come on. <laughs> and unbeknownst to me, she was extremely rude to my wife. You can be rude to me. Don't be rude to Sherry. You can be rude to me, don't be rude to my wife. But Sherry doesn't do anything. She didn't do anything. I didn't know this until afterwards because she was, Sherry was walking by and she walked over to Sherry and was just bawling and crying. She's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. She was just weeping, you know. She's like, it's all right. Sherry's like, it's all right. It's not a big deal. It wasn't, it's all right, you know. But it, cause it wasn't like anything drastic. But she starts immediately doing that. Her head, her head was vibrating. I asked the Holy Spirit afterwards. I'm like, why, what, what's with the vibrations? And this is, this again, this is revelation, man. This is just like, I mean, he said to me, I was adjusting the frequencies. <laughs> because the frequencies of her brain, you know, your brain communicates with frequencies. I don't know if you're aware of that. And somehow there was a misalignment within the frequencies of her brain. They weren't, the lobes weren't communicating. And so I'm praying for her and I could just feel my hands, you know, buzzing and vibrating. And I heard him tell me, you know, I want you to, you know, she's feeling vibration in her brain, she's in her brain. And so I was like, I want you to feel like your brain is vibrating. Do you feel that? She said, I do. I said, what's it feel like? She said, it feels like it's tingling. I said, let that happen. And that was it. Prophet, priest, king. See? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not reading from a book, ladies and gentlemen. I, I'm not, you know, getting this from 1603, you know. Th this is living faith. This is living power. This is kingdom now. Exactly. It's current. It's straight out of the oven fresh baked bread in this time, in this generation. I'm an explorer and an understander of this kingdom. And if he'll do that, then let's do more. And I have my own theories when it comes to certain things like that. I have a lot of thrills of victory, but I have a few agonies of defeat and I'm trying to overcome the agonies of defeat where I couldn't move the ball. That's another story for another day. But what you need to know is Jesus is a healer. And you need to know what, what I'm telling you. When I'm talking about kingdom culture, and what I just did through healing, that applies to your business. That applies to your family. That applies to every aspect of your life. If you can understand prophet, priest, kingdom, that kingdom is the dominion and the rulership or the reign or the promises or the destiny or the purpose that God wants for you. But it comes through this cultivation of prophet, priest, kingdom. So all that out of a boy who came, got healed. So anyway, nonetheless... If you don't know Jesus, this man and his whole household came to Christ. They saw the wonder. They believed what he did. They gave their lives to Jesus. All have to come to Jesus. Jesus is not one among many. He is the one and only. 
Buddha cannot save you. Allah cannot save you. Krishna cannot save you. L. Ron Hubbard and Tom Cruise can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. You are lost. You are hopeless and helpless. You cannot save yourself. You must be born again, Jesus said. And you say, how did he be? He died for you and he rose again. And the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. You don't have to understand it. He tells you to believe in your heart. You don't have to make intellectual sense to you. He just says, believe in your heart. And if that's you or if that's anyone here in the room and you've never given your life to Christ and you're not really sure you've ever done that, well, let's be sure today. Today's your day. And so we're going to say a prayer. Elevate's going to pray with us. It's a 40-second prayer, and it's an eternity-changing prayer. So just go for it. And just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it because I need a Savior. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. In all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You prayed that prayer. We honor you. We bless you. In Jesus' name. We have a prayer team available. If you need prayer for anything, this team will pray for you. And uh, Aaron said, far be it from me that we should sin against the Lord by not praying for you. And so we have a prayer team available to minister to you if you need prayer. Let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. May you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. We're going to do anointing and prophetic words, second service. I have no idea what that's going to do, but let's just do it.